started. There it is. Recording started. And like that, the FinSurf podcast. Wait. <laughs> David, this is my uh, welcome. Uh, I don't really want you. What would you call yourself, Jamie? You're a man of many talents. And the man, the myth, the legend who used to have super long, great hair, but decided to cut it off. Jamie Hopkins. He's more well-known than I am. Uh, just Google him I, one time and you'll see the good looks. I don't know that that's true. You, you have a, you have a movie coming about you. Right? <laughs> so I, I don't have a movie coming about me, but man, yeah, uh, let's get it. Long going. hair is gone. Yeah, <laughs> man. You know, I think it took way too long. Me and you are really good friends. You're probably one of my best friends. And it took way too long for us to start a podcast. Yeah, it did. I mean, and we have a purpose now and a reason to do a show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've been on a handful of shows together before, but, uh, you know, uh, this is going to be fun. So I'm looking forward to it. As long as long as uh, you don't make fun of my minivan or anything else too much, uh, you know, it'll probably be a good show. I'll save those for specific episodes. But today's episode, you know, I think we have a good one, right? You and I, as well as the FinServe Foundation, our job is to help people specifically young people, get into their chosen field, specifically financial services. We have people who are interested in becoming someone in the financial services industry. They may not come from a typical background. That's the people that we want in FinServe. But there's one problem. How do you teach people who haven't been in a field to get a job in a field that they may not even know anyone? Mm-hmm. So at FinServe, we're, we're, we're trying to get people there. So have, how many jobs have you applied to before? Well, I, uh, I've actually applied to like hundreds and hundreds of jobs. That might be a little surprising to a lot of people. But, uh, you know, coming out of law school back in, you know, 2000, well, I guess I was applying for jobs in 2009. You know, look, that was a tough time to be applying for jobs. So I was sending resumes in for every type of legal work known to man. <laughs> it was like, you know, if you had an open job, you were probably getting resumes from everybody. And uh, I was just talking to one of my friends the other night, Bridget Barry, about I'd interviewed for a job and I didn't I didn't end up getting it either. And, you know, probably about how grateful I am that I didn't get a couple of those jobs that I shot out resumes for and applied to because I didn't really want them. And and I'm sure a little bit of that comes across right when I interviewed that, like, you know, I applied uh, for a divorce lawyer position. And I remember <laughs> uh, it was a woman. It was a woman led firm. And I, I, I guarantee you that it's like 99 percent sure that she accidentally brought me in for an interview because my name was Jamie because <laughs> I get in there and she literally goes like, well, I, I've only hired women before. And uh, like, why do you want to be in this profession? And uh you know, like I at least had an answer, right? Like my, my stepdad's been divorced. I've got, you know, step siblings. So I could like talk a little bit about the story, but like 99% sure she like watched this, uh, <laughs> like 23 year old, you know, two L or three L come walking in when she was expecting a, a woman to be coming in. And it just, you know, she knew right away. She wasn't hiring me. right? Like she, well, she told me, she's like, I've only ever hired women. <laughs> so that that's a good point, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. applied for a job. So 2007, 2009, great financial crisis. And I mean, I was graduating at the same time uh, for the Naval Academy in 2007. And I remember it, man, like it was scary, right? Like there was a mm-hmm. lot of people 
who just they were grad, newly graduates with like fancy degrees and could not find a job. People were getting their job offers rescinded that they had like been interns at places because people were longer hiring. Companies were just like, we just don't have anything. So a lot of people in turn went back to grad school and got another degree because guess what? They didn't want to pay student loans. And then they came out of grad school and it was still tough to get a job. And so you just sort of had to take what you had out there. And I know a lot of people who ended up in uh, some bad situations. I have a friend who was a mechanical engineer. No, I'm sorry, electrical engineer from a great school. It was working as a bank teller because that was the only job he can get. And he was looking for a job in the oil and gas industry. But how do you prevent that? Yeah, I mean, look, you can we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today on the best ways you can. But I think there's also the reality of, you know, the reason that we had to do that back, you know, I graduated college in 07 and, uh, you know, same thing, right? Uh, you, you had friends having jobs rescinded and, you know, you didn't really know what was going to happen and you had to take what was available. Now, I don't think I had a whole lot of coaching up until then. I mean, that's really like the first professional jobs I started applying to it. I mean, before that, I you know, I lifeguarded, I coached and I, you know, worked at my parents, you know, construction company hanging gutters. Like I didn't have to apply really for those jobs. So I didn't have a lot of experience or coaching until I finished up school. And I think that the, you know, my school probably had more resources than I leveraged, but I just, you know, I didn't use them at the time. So I think one, you know, very simple tip when you're looking at jobs is like, you know, use whatever resources you have around, you know, and that's just, you know, be resourceful. You know, that's part of life too. I mean, you know that if you have a, something around and your school is going to help you, you know, review your resume, like have them review it for you. If there's a service there, you know, ask others to review it. So be resourceful there. Um, I think the other one too is, you know, not try the scattershot approach, uh, which which I definitely did, which was take like one resume and just send it to every job everywhere. out there. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I, it was personal injury stuff. And, uh, oh, yeah. Just whatever. You know, like you want, <laughs> you want an attorney. I'm your guy. And, uh, you know, and, and if you thought I was a girl, that's OK, too. I will. I still want this. Job, <laughs> right. Like, so either one is perfectly okay. But no, like, but then you just have a lot of mistakes in there. You don't have the passion behind it. So when I show up to a job interview like that, I don't really want the job except for the fact that, Hey, I, I want a job. And if you say that you you'll never get the job, right? I mean, you actually do have to come in there with some passion about what you're doing and why you're there. Yeah. I think it's important. Uh, like there's a couple things. One of the things that you said was the resources from school. I did a terrible job at utilizing the Naval Academy to ever go after any position I wanted until I was ready to go to med school. Then I finally reached back to one of my professors and like, hey, are you still willing to help me get to med school? Meanwhile, like I have professors who were like consultants to Booz Allen Hamilton, like all mm -hmm. these high defense contractors that I could have easily went and got a job at. And I just, for some reason, it was, it never dawned on me to reach back to my professors and go, hey, do you know someone who might be willing to hire one of your favorite students? Like, that is a, something that I think we all take for granted. Like, we spend four years, some, hopefully people spend four years, some people spend six, getting their undergraduate degree. But 
you develop relationships with your professors. These are the people who are going to know you really, really well. And if they're a great professor, they're going to have some industry relationships that they can mm -hmm. leverage, right? In financial services, we see that just in the FinServe Foundation. Like Professor Craig, he, I mean, he works at University of Illinois, right? Like, so his students, if they really, really want to get in somewhere, they need to leverage that relationship. Same thing if you have a professor in finance. There's a probably some how, some way, some of their research has probably been used in industry or they've been called. They're going to have industry relationships. They'll know who to contact. Um, personally, I never really applied to that many jobs. I work in a different manner, right? I work backwards. And I go, well, I know, let's say, for instance, my salary target was 90 grand. Okay. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to look for jobs that pay 90 grand and are in, I qualify for. And then I'm just going to, everything else I'm not even paying attention to. And then I'm going to look and say, you know, who is on the staff and who works for there? Who do I know that has a similar background to me, academic background? Did they go to Naval Academy? Did they go to West Point? You know, Air Force Academy? Because I know I can relate to them. Right. Mm -hmm. I know if I can get my foot in the door, I may not be 100 percent qualified, but I know if I can just show them that I'm a person and that I'm willing to work hard, they'll give me a shot. And so for me, I've been very, very selective, partially because I, I have a fear of rejection. I don't want to be rejected from the job. Right. Like basically getting denied. Now, when you're applying for residency in medicine, Oh, you got to spray and pray, man. You, you, because mm -hmm. there's so much competition out there that, again, I taste, take a statistical approach, right? I try and, because it's, it costs money to apply to these, these places. So I go, I need to get a third of the applications out there. I need to get an interview by a third. And hopefully, one third of those people will want me, right? Yeah. I give myself a 33% chance, is what I'm looking for. But uh, at the in, end of the baseball, day, in baseball, you'd be pretty good. And in, in your chosen sport of basketball, 33% is not, not cutting it from the field. Yeah, you're not Steph Curry. We'll be right back with the show. But first, I wanted to tell you a bit about our sponsor and the production company behind the FinServe podcast, Podpony. Are you on the lookout for a podcast producer? How about a content boost or even someone to help take your brand to the next level? Well, let's face it, creating content and keeping up with a content schedule just isn't easy. That's where Podpony comes in, your all-in-one content partner for thought leaders and business owners. From media coaching, podcast production, blogs, webinars, newsletters, website support, social media, or any other facet of the content world, they've got you covered. From initial concepts and strategies to production and distribution, the experts at Podpony are with you every step of the way. They'll help you create customized content that turns heads and brings in business. All you have to do is show up and do what you love. They'll handle the rest. So saddle up with Podpony by visiting podpony.com and start your content journey today. Now, back to the show. You feel there's a, a Harvard Business Review article from 2019 that talks about basically saying flat out, uh, apply for a job even if you're not qualified. And I know I've given that uh, particular 
like advice to people. And I gave it to my brother. And the reason why I gave it to my brother is we, as you've been, you've been a professional a long time. We all know people who have gotten jobs that aren't qualified. And you're just like, how the heck did this person get a job? So how do you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I give people that advice all the time. And, uh, I, I think part of it is to, you know, even when I look at, you know, individuals to hire, I don't know that every time I need to have seen them do the job before, as long as they have the skill sets that are necessary to do the job. And so that's a lot of times people in their mind are, hey, I didn't hit 15 years of experience for this. I have seven. Well, do you have seven years of relevant experience and where the job is today? And somebody else has 15 years of experience on options trading at the end of the 1990s. Like, look, that's not it. That's not useful anymore. Right. Like, I don't care that they have that experience in their background from 30 years ago. You don't want that person. You want the person with seven years of the last, you know, seven years of actually doing the job. So I think a lot of times people put those limitations on themselves. And so those, you know, self-limiting beliefs, Uh, you do see some data out there. I don't have it right up in front of me, but I know that, you know, men will apply to jobs a lot faster, even if they're not qualified than women will. So, and I'm sure that breaks down into other categories, right? There's other reasons why, but I'd say, you know, take those risks. The worst that happens in applying to a job that you're not qualified is you don't ever get a response back. Like, I mean, that's the single worst possible thing, right? It's just, they just never, they, they look at it and they go, ah, they're going to meet all the qualifications we're looking for. And they put it in a pile or just delete the email. I mean, that's the worst thing. Who cares? Move on, apply to the next one. And, you know, you think about a lot of people who have gotten opportunities, it's step out and say, hey, I've got the ability to do this and you never know it might happen. You know, I would say, you know, I've had one job in my life where, you know, if you looked at the other people they hired, uh, I don't think that I would have, you know, met the same kind of box that everybody else that they hired came from. And, you know, but my pitch was different that, you know, I'm, I have relevant experience that I have this drive that you're going to want me in that spot. And I look for that when I hire too. Uh, I mean, when I've hired a couple managers before that have had zero management experience for a management job that said we wanted five to seven years of management because the person had the qualifications that, you know, the characteristics and traits that it takes to be a really good manager. You know, just the experience alone doesn't mean you're actually good at anything. You know, you probably remember this from sports, the, you know, and I remember my coach saying this, right. As uh, the practice makes perfect. And he was always like, that's nonsense. Like if you practice bad habits all the time, all you get really good at doing is doing something the wrong way. Which so is just why so, my so coach said has, perfect practice makes perfect. Yep. Yeah. And and really practice makes habit, right? What you practice becomes your habit. And so if you want to have a really great habit, to your point, then you have to have perfect practice on that habit that you want to have that's good. But if you practice bad habits, even if you have a perfect practice, but you know it's the wrong habit, you're still going to create that one. And so take that risk, go out there, you know, apply for things that you're not qualified for. You know, now I would say that with, with some, with some limitations, you know, you're a surgeon. If you don't go to medical school, you probably shouldn't apply to (laughs) surgical ones, right? Like there are some, like, this doesn't mean you can apply for everything. You know, there are some, you probably shouldn't, but you know, within reason, I think you can probably figure those out. Yeah. But I mean, 90, man, it might even be more than 90% of jobs, right? If, if your whole goal, like I think people have the wrong, and I had the wrong idea. When I was in school, I thought 
a degree automatically meant you were qualified for a field. Mm-hmm. And what it really is, and after it took some time, I was at the National Security Agency and I had to start hiring people to be like engineers, right? Uh, and to do some stuff. And I'm interviewing them. And then I realized it's like, you know, that just gets your foot in the door. It lets me know you know how to learn and you're willing to work hard. It tells me nothing about your ability to do anything, right? Because you could have cheated your way to four years to get your degree, right? So like understanding truly what you are capable of and who you want to be is everything, which is reason why you see there are doctors with theology degrees and music degrees because the degree just says that you are willing to work hard at something for four years. It shows persistence. It doesn't actually show like, oh, you truly know. Majority of jobs are on the job training. So like these days, I tell people with their resume is like, keep it short and sweet, man. Like, I don't want to see a resume that's 10 pages because to be honest, I don't 100% care because either you can do the job or you can't. And if your resume is 10 pages long, that just tells me you left a bunch of paces. Yeah. And, you know, I've looked at a lot of resumes. I still prefer one page resumes. Thank if it's you. two pages, sometimes it's okay. Um, but I still prefer one page resumes It's get it on one page for me. You know, do I need two pages? Maybe sometimes in a more technical field, you know, I'd say academics, sometimes they have longer CVs with their publications. You know, you like those ones, right? You know, I can't 72 stand them. Pa- 72 oh, pages long, right? Yeah. But for most people, you know, that's just not the world they're in. I want to go uh, over. We talked about uh, one Harvard Business Review article. There was a second one, and it, it, it already tied to one of the things you brought up. Um, back in 2021, a five-week guide to getting a job. And uh, it actually started with one of the, the first things, before you look, know your odds. And and you talked about doing that, right? That you started figuring out, well, you know, applying to med school, I got to know my odds here. And I'm not just going to waste all this time. Because if you look at kind of the application process as you start to move through it, there is a little bit of the, you got to pay attention to your time and energy that you're putting into things. And if you are creating custom resumes and, you know, uh, you know, kind of custom emails for all this stuff, that's a lot of time that you're spending on it. And if you're applying to a lot of stuff that you, you either don't want, wouldn't accept, um, or really, like I said, like you have no background in the medical field and you're applying to surgical jobs, like you're wasting a lot of time here. Um, so what's your kind of view? Like ha- you, you, you mentioned that before, but how did you even go about figuring out, you know, in your world, what you thought your odds really were there? Oh man. You know, before the, the preparing for the interview process starts six to nine months before you even have really undergone the process, right? Because there's a whole information gathering portion. You got to start putting feelers out there. Hey, man, what do you think? Someone that you know that's in that field, what do you think about me possibly joining this field? And get that honest feedback. And really take it upon yourself to improve the things they're talking about. And then if there are places that you think you might want to work, go talk to them. Ask them flat out, hey, what are you looking for in a candidate? How, like... And they don't have to know that you're the one, the candidate. You just want to just be interested in 
the culture, the fit, because you may show up and it may not be a fit for you. So then go ask people who work there, reach out to your network and see if anyone you know might have anyone that has experience at that place, right? Because the thing that we don't realize is like reputations, right? Especially large companies, they don't want their reputation to be bad. They have no incentive to ever let their reputation be bad. So majority of things you're going to hear is all good. But you need to hear what the worst case scenario is. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have bad days at the place that you're going to. So either you're going to sit there and think everything's all rosy and then you're going to show up and like, man, it freaking sucks. It's like prison here. Why, who did, why didn't they tell me? And then you get on the inside and they're like, man, you should have never came. Right. That happened to me. That happened to me at my first. Um, at, I started my residency training at Mount Sinai in Chicago. And then I transferred my fourth and fifth year. And when I showed up for my interview day, honestly, people were looking at me. One applicant was driving away and he was like, he literally looked at me and said, <laughs> giving you the eyes. Like, and I was I'll just like, it. man, this is, this is weird. Right. So then I was talking to one of the transitional year interns. Those are folks that are just there for a year because they're going to do a different. And the guy, I was like, hey, man, just be blunt with me and tell me the truth. Like, how do you like it here? He was like, um, yeah, I, um, this is where general surgery careers go to die. And I ignored all of it. Every last bit of it, because I was like, I saw all the cases and this. I was like, there's too too much good going on, man. Those two guys just aren't tough enough. No, they were tough enough, and they were 100% correct. I was the idiot that should have actually saw common sense that said, hey, man, this, this program has some issues. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully, they've gotten through that, and I, it, I'm not trying to disparage Mount Sinai. I got great training there, but it took years off my life, right? Yeah. And and you're ignoring the information that's in front just because you want to chase some glamour. The thing is, is we all have resources. There's Reddit. <laughs> Believe it or not, Reddit can be very helpful. Or just Googling, hey, reviews of a company. And yeah. you got to remember, people only write reviews when they're on the passion ends. Either they're very pissed off. Or they're very, very happy about something. And so doing your research up front is important. And just finding out what actual skill they want you to have. What is the true job? Because there is a lot of times you can find out like, like for instance, there'll be jobs that say like data strategist, right? And when reality is you're just inputting things into a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. and, and you get in there and you're like, there's no strategy part of this job. I'm answering to five different people and I'm just doing their data entry. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why that job didn't pay much. And you're like, oh, I have this fancy title. In finance, I love it because they love to call everyone vice president. Yeah. But well, what does that you know, actually mean? Yeah, the, the banking world and, you know, the uh, finance, financial world. Yeah, everybody's a SVP or VP. And that's just, you know, that's the role. Or or you have, <laughs> you know, market strategist and the market strategist gets coffee. You know, oh, it's good. You know, that's a, it's a solid thing. But yeah, both of those two saw, uh, you know, in that article they listed, uh, you know, doing, you know, kind of interviews, learning about the firm as one. And you mentioned that, like, ask people about, you know, their 
you know, conduct that research. Um, the other one was network. So who do you know? You know, how do you, how can you get in there? Do you know somebody that can put in a good name for you? And then, you know, going back up to the first one, it said, you know, kind of get your resume in order with the skills that they're looking for. And that's the that's the part that a lot of people skip over because a lot of people are taking their resume and trying to mass send it to 7,500 places. Then all of a sudden, you don't, you're not showing the skills that somebody's looking for. So you really should take that time to show the skills that a job is really looking for, you know, to your point, does somebody actually want strategy? Do they want business writing? And you're not showing either one of those two things on your resume. You know, with somebody else that showed that took the time to pay attention to the skills that they wanted and put it on there, they're going to get the next interview. They're going to get moved in the short stack and you aren't. So, you know, you really, if you, there are jobs you care about and you want, you got to take the time learn about what they're looking for, and put that on your resume. Uh, there's a lot of different resumes out there. The other thing I will tell you is, you know, typos, you know, really weird looking resumes. Um, you know, you don't, you know, I think there's there's some industries where this probably is not true, where, you know, there's probably some marketing world resumes that, you know, people want to see something more creative. We talked about, you know, academia where they have CVs, but most people want fairly straightforward. I can pull up the resume. I can get the stuff, you know, that I'm looking for really quickly. And part of that is a lot of times you're, you might be looking at, you know, 75 resumes to narrow them down to, to seven to 10. So if it's real complex and I can't follow it real quick, right. That's, you know, in, yeah, it's gone, the right. It's going out. <laughs> it's going on out. <laughs> it's going on. I, I mean, but that's, I tell people this all the time, right? Like, don't sit there and try and be um, the person who's overly complex on paper. And one of my old colleagues, he was an amazing gentleman at the National Security Agency. I won't say his name, but he told me to always show up like Robin on paper and then deliver like Batman in person. Right. And he said, Robin is good enough to get into any door, but Batman is the one that's going to finish the mission. And I always took that to heart. Right. Because that was important. And I and I understood that. And I tell people, it's like, look, there are opportunities for you to stand out. It is not the time of your resume to be 10, 20 pages where the most vital part of the information they need is in the very end and they didn't get a chance to do it. If they have a thousand of these to look through, they have 10 seconds to make a decision on your one, right? Because they're under a time constraint. They don't have all day in the world to read your resume. Same thing with cover letters, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding the position, writing your cover letter in a conversational but professional tone that is easy to read and that they can skim through it, get the point, get who you are, and that you understand what they're looking for is huge, right? And then in the cover letter, end it with a call to action. Here's some, if you want additional details about me, here's my resume attached. Here's where you can contact me. I look forward to hearing from you and working for your firm one day. It's a yeah, very simple thing. And and if if a job says it's optional to add one, you should add one. Yes, <laughs> I'll tell you that too. Option optional uh, cover letters are not optional. <laughs> not at all. No, not no. at all. Um, the cover letter I, is usually the thing that we we weed to decide mm -hmm. whether or not we should read the resume. Yeah. 
The other one too is, you know, LinkedIn and social profiles have become more important. Um, you know, people look at them and maybe not round one, but when you get down to your eight and you're going to go through people, look, they go to your LinkedIn. Oh, look, you know, there's a link to their Twitter. They go to their Twitter. Oh, look, here's a link to their Facebook. Oh, wow. I'm on their Facebook. Oh, okay. They're not somebody I would hire. Uh, and that happens very quickly for people. A lot of HR companies actually scroll through that. They go look at all this stuff. So, you know, and it doesn't have to be the best social profiles in the history of the world, but, you know, uh, you know, have clear photos of yourself up there. People can identify you, you know, those types of things. And you're looking for jobs, you know, people are looking at that and you don't want to put, in my view, hurdles in front of yourself in a super competitive environment. So like have okay profiles or, you know, if you, if you want, to shut them down for a while, right? You can turn them off and come back to them after you're through a job application process. And that that is a common thing in medicine, right? When you see residency cycles come around, people's social media go like this, right? Mm -hmm. And it just goes and people shut them down. And the only thing you'll see, if you see anything at all, is their residency like application photo. And they go and delete everything because they don't want any impropriety or to be seen as a risk. I took the other aspect of I allow that to also weed out places that I don't want to be. So I try mm -hmm. and be my authentic self 100% of the time. And if it turns out a company doesn't like that, then that's not the company for me. And so there's two ways to look at that. There's probably yep. more ways than that, but there's two ways to look at that. But that's an important thing. The reality is the social media, as we've seen, um, College athletes, NBA players, uh, <laughs> Kai Jones recently from the Sh uh, Charlotte Hornets. He yeah. was a first round pick a year ago and he got waived in his second year all because of his social media antics. Mm -hmm. and social media will kill your job prospects. Not only kill your job prospects, it does not matter what school you came from, whatever. And to be honest, your network will get you a job but your skills will allow you to keep it. And then if your network gets you into a job, if you can't hack it, you probably got one to two other jobs and then you're going to rack up a few times and then there are people are going to call your former bosses and they're gonna be like, yeah, he can't, he or she can't actually do the job and you're done. So understanding and truly understanding that you going into this new profession, whatever you're going to do, you need to actually come through. You need to show up because if you don't show up, guess what? Nobody's coming to save you. You might be back in grad school. Yeah. Batman is not coming to save you, Robin. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Well, look, we, we went through 30 minutes faster than I thought we were going to go through 30 minutes too. Yeah. So I, I thought this was great. You, you gave a lot of awesome insights, man. And I think for people out there, look, there's great resources out there. You know, as David and I started looking, Harvard Business Review's done a ton. These are free articles. Look at them. You know, there's different perspectives than we brought on here today on how to apply to jobs and what people are looking for. But, you know, network, learn about the place, get the resume, get the skills up there, you know. Pay attention to your social. That's going to be important. Um, and then, you know, to, what you brought up is some places aren't going to be for you, and that's okay. I mean, that kind of goes back to the beginning of my story when they were probably hoping to interview a woman attorney, and they got me instead. Like, you know, they didn't want me, and you know, ultimately, I was probably better off somewhere else, and it, it turned out well. But uh, 
you know, those things are going to happen and, you know, you just got to keep moving forward and figure out what's for you. Agreed. I also will say just a reminder, no minivans are allowed. Waffles only. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it just start with that at the title of your resume, right? No minivans allowed. Waffles only. And, uh, well, love this. Appreciate you for hopping on and, and, and you know, going down this uh, path a little bit with me today, man. That was great, man. Can't wait for next right. time. Yeah. Get ready for more of these. And if you do have episodes you want to hear us talk about, feel free to send an email over to uh, president at finservfoundation.org. And we'll we'll listen to those uh, requests and hop on that topic when we can. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 